RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. The first person prosecuted under the new national security law is charged with terrorism and secession. A Guangdong official who gained prominence during the 2011 Wukan clampdown will be in charge of a new security agency. And there's fallout from the government's assertion that the Liberate Hong Kong protest slogan is in violation of the law. Police have charged a 23-year-old man with terrorism and secession, making him the first person to be prosecuted under Hong Kong's new national security law. Francis Sit has details. Tong Yen Kit is accused of crashing a motorcycle into a group of police officers in Wan Chai during protests on July the 1st. At the time, he was allegedly bearing a flag that said, Liberate Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times. His case has been heard at West Kowloon Magistrates Court, but Mr Tong wasn't present and was being treated in hospital. He has been charged with inciting others to organise, plan, commit or participate in acts with a view to committing secession or undermining national unification or separating the Hong Kong SAR from China, or altering by unlawful means the legal status of the SAR. He also faces another count of engaging in terrorist activities. The prosecution alleged Mr Tong had committed terrorist activity with a view to coercing the central government or the SAR government or intimidating the public order in order to pursue a political agenda. The case was adjourned until July the 6th, or whenever Mr Tong leaves hospital. In another case linked to the protests on Wednesday, a court has denied bail to a 24-year-old man charged with stabbing a police officer. That story from Timmy Sung. Wang Quanhua appeared in Eastern Court accused of unlawfully and maliciously wounding a police officer with intent to cause grievous bodily harm. The officer was allegedly attacked outside Quincy's College in Causeway Bay as he was trying to arrest a protester, suffering a wound to his left shoulder. Wang wasn't required to enter a plea. Magistrate Ho Chen Yu adjourned the case until August 24th to give the police more time to investigate and go through CCTV footage. A Guangdong official prominent during a 2011 crackdown on land rights pro protesters in Wukan will be in charge of a new national security agency. Jung Yan Xiong has been named head of the Office for Safeguarding National Security. The state-level agency has the power to take control of criminal cases relating to national security, if it so wishes, and suspects could be taken across the border for trial. Professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan, head of the Department of Government and International Studies at Baptist University, says Mr Zhang's appointment signalled Beijing's tough stance. I think Xi Jinping is doubling down on national security in appointing a hardliner, Zhang Yanxiong, as the new head of this uh, national security office. is coming with a bad image in Hong Kong, uh, to Hong Kong, and uh, it's going to be an issue. We'll see whether it has changed. I don't think it has changed too much. He's uh, coming with a, with a kind of negative reputation into Hong Kong, and that, uh, I think, shows how much... Uh, Beijing and Xi Jinping wants uh, Hong Kong to toe the line. A deputy director of the Basic Law Committee says the phrase liberate Hong Kong is out of step with the fact that Hong Kong is part of China. But Maria Tam agrees there would need to be proof that the person chanting the slogan had indeed breached the new security law. She rejected suggestions that the move suppressed freedom of speech. When you talk about liberation in the Chinese meaning in our historical uh, events, uh, it's when you have one uh, piece of land, uh, that place belonged to me, but somebody took it, and now I'm going to retrieve it. That's the meaning of liberation. So 
As far as we're concerned, Hong Kong belongs to China. Former legislator and demo sister leader Nathan Law has fled Hong Kong hours after testifying online to a U.S. congressional hearing and criticizing the new security law. He says Hong Kong's fate shows China was becoming more authoritarian, and he told the BBC what had driven him to flee. Uh, the implementation of national security law basically um, infringed uh, every rights that we could possibly have. And everyone who uh, merely take an interview talking about U.S.-China relationship or even sanctioning would be seen as a violation of the national security law. So I think for now, we need a public figure that would go to the international stage to spread a Hong Kong story and their demands uh, with an international advocacy campaign. And I think that is exactly the impetus that uh, for my move. You're listening to RTHK. The time's exactly five minutes past 11. The High Court has thrown out a legal challenge by a student against the exam authorities' move to scrap a question in this year's history paper, saying the decision was made in line with procedures. But as Maggie Ho reports, the judge had some tough words for officials for the way they handled the matter. The question at the center of the controversy asked students to comment on the proposition that Japan did more good than harm to China between 1900 and 1945. Mr. Justice Russell Coleman said the question is a good one that promotes critical thinking at a time when, as he put it, tolerance of the views of others, let alone a willingness to seek to understand and engage with them or to seek more common ground, is on the wane. He said he could not see any difference in nature between this question and two others that asked students to analyze whether most people in Germany benefited from Nazi rule and the British ruled India for their own benefit. He noted the Education Bureau had said publicly the question may lead candidates to reach a biased conclusion, seriously hurting the feelings and dignity of the Chinese people. And the chief executive Carrie Lam had said there had been a professional error on the part of those who designed the question and that she would step in if necessary. The judge said the Bureau's reaction to the question involved ungrounded or unfair comments prone to some logical fallacy and smack of knee-jerk political correctness and self-censorship of an unattractive kind. He also called the CE's remarks an unfortunate choice of words. But the judge acknowledged there's no standard procedure for the examinations and assessment authority to review a question of this kind, and evidence showed there had been careful, almost exhaustive deliberations amongst professionals within the authority. He noted outside experts were consulted, and a decision to invalidate the question was made by majority vote. At the end of his 155-page written ruling, the judge concluded that the fact that the decision ultimately chimed with what he called professional and possibly political desire of the Education Bureau and its chief, Kevin Young, does not mean it had taken into account political considerations. Starting from tomorrow, residents of Beijing will no longer be required to show proof they have tested negative for coronavirus when they travel out of the city. As officials say, the number of cases is declining. The capital has recorded 331 confirmed cases in the current outbreak since mid-June. To stem the spread of the virus, residents from high and medium-risk areas have been banned from leaving the city. The first hearing has taken place in Turkey in the trial of 20 Saudi Arabian nationals for the murder of the Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. They're being tried in absentia. Khashoggi's fiancé, Hatice Sengziz, was the first to give evidence on his killing inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul two years ago. Here's the BBC's Frank Gardner. 
Khadija Cengiz spoke briefly to journalists. She said that it was a debilitating experience, as she put it. It must have been absolutely harrowing for her, but she says she is determined to see justice. She wants to know what's happened to his body, and she wants to see those who she considers are accountable for this brought to justice. The Saudis, however, are not going to extradite anybody, they've said. They've already held their own trial, which finished in December. It was held behind closed doors. And neither of the two chief suspects, as far as the international intelligence community concerned, were actually convicted. The Philippine president, Rodrigo Duterte, has signed a controversial anti-terrorism law giving the government sweeping new powers. From Manila, the BBC's Howard Johnson reports. The new Anti-Terror Act now allows for the detention of suspects for up to 24 days without charge and empowers a government council to designate people as suspected terrorists, subject to arrests and surveillance for 60 days. Supporters of the law say it is needed to bolster efforts against ongoing armed insurgencies, mainly in the south of the Philippines. But critics of the law say it gives President Duterte's government more powers to clamp down on dissent using a dangerous and vague definition of terrorism. Rights group Amnesty International said even the mildest government critics can now be labelled as terrorists. Japan has asked the United States to extradite two men who are accused of helping the former Nissan boss Carlos Ghosn to escape from house arrest last year. Mr Ghosn was awaiting trial for financial misconduct when he fled Japan. Here's the BBC's Rupert Wingfield Hayes. The Japanese extradition request claims that Michael and Peter Taylor travelled to Tokyo at the end of last year and on the 29th of December smuggled Carlos Ghosn out of his Tokyo home down to Osaka and onto a private jet. They alleged the two men posed as part of a band and used a large case for carrying musical instruments to smuggle Carlos Ghosn through immigration and onto the private plane. The two men have been held in detention in Boston since May. The French President Emmanuel Macron has named a new Prime Minister in a major reshuffle to reframe his political agenda. He's a centre-right mayor, Jean Castex, who orchestrated France's exit from coronavirus lockdown. He replaces Edouard Philippe. The BBC's Lucy Williamson has more. I think there was a sense among many of the commentators here that President Macron perhaps wasn't the most comfortable with the amount of popularity and profile that Edouard Philippe was getting at the end of the lockdown here. He was seen to be the sort of action man of politics. He was seen to have handled things pretty well and his popularity was some 10 points ahead of President Macron. So I think the choice of someone who brings some of the qualities that Edouard Philippe had, but without that sort of profile, uh, perhaps was what Mr Macron was looking for. Iran has acknowledged that there has been an explosion and fire at the country's main nuclear fuel production site at Natanz. A previously unknown group said it was behind the blast. The BBC's David Bamford reports. Iran's Atomic Energy Organization has released a photograph confirming the explosion. It shows a low-lying building with doors ripped from their hinges and a collapsed roof. The authorities do not say what caused the incident, but a previously unknown group has emailed the BBC to say it carried out the explosion. The group, calling itself the Homeland Cheaters, said an above-ground building was chosen to make it harder for the Iranian government to hide what had happened. The claim and identity of the group has not been verified. 
Sports now. Bayern Munich have signed Manchester City winger Leroy Sane on a five-year contract. The Bundesliga champions did not reveal the transfer fee for the 24-year-old German international. Sane began his career with Schalke before spending the past four years at Manchester City. And for a preview of this weekend's English Premier League action, here's the BBC's John Bennett. The race to qualify for the Champions League and the relegation battle will provide the entertainment in the Premier League this weekend. It's now or never for bottom-of-the-table Norwich City, who are seven points from safety with just six games left to play. Their opponents, Brighton, meanwhile, need just one victory to effectively make them safe. Above Norwich, four teams are separated by just three points. Bournemouth are 19th and on a horrendous run of form going into the away game against a Manchester United side looking full of confidence. Aston Villa in 18th face the champions Liverpool who will surely want to respond following a disappointing 4-0 defeat by Manchester City on Thursday. Just above the relegation zone, Watford who are 17th face Champions League chasers Chelsea and after a brilliant win against Chelsea midweek, West Ham in 16th travel to Newcastle looking for back-to-back victories. Meanwhile, at the top end of the table, third-place Leicester City desperately need to get out of their rut to get back on course for Champions League qualification. They haven't won since the restart, and they've only scored two goals in four games. They're at home to Crystal Palace, who are hoping for a top-half finish. Those are some of the big games to look forward to. The BBC's John Bennett. The six-time Formula One world champion Lewis Hamilton says he welcomes the chance to use his high profile to support more diversity in motor racing. Hamilton says he and his fellow drivers will make a collective gesture of support for anti-racism before Sunday's season-opening Austrian Grand Prix. Hamilton says he can speak from his own experiences in life and in the sport. I've been obviously working with Mercedes since I was 13 and I've also been in Formula 1 now for 14 years and I've not seen hardly any change and that upsets me because I, you know, there was a point that I thought that maybe by me being here I'm helping breaking down barriers and hopefully um, it's going to help change the industry for the better but it's not done enough and I want to do more. The Queensland Reds have overcome the New South Wales Waratahs in the opening match of the Super Rugby Australia competition. Queensland fly half James O'Connor kicked two late penalties to seal a 32-26 victory for the Reds. Because of coronavirus-related restrictions, the match was played before a crowd of 5,500 fans in the 52,500-seat Suncor Stadium in Brisbane. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The first person prosecuted under the new national security law is charged with terrorism and secession. A Guangdong official who gained prominence during the 2011 Wukan clampdown will be in charge of a new security agency. And there's fallout from the government's assertion that the Liberate Hong Kong protest slogan is in violation of the law. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's news wrap programme. Today brought a flurry of appointments to bodies being set up in relation to Hong Kong's new national security law. The mainland agency to oversee enforcement has its first director. Beijing has named its advisor to a national security committee and the police have a chief for their dedicated new unit. Meanwhile, the chief executive has picked six magistrates to handle national security cases. Anna-Marie Evans asked Professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan, head of the Department of Government and International Studies at Hong Kong Baptist University, what he made of Beijing's appointments. Well, um, I think Xi Jinping is doubling down 
on national security in appointing a hardliner, Zhong Yanxiong, as the new head of this uh, national security office, uh, representing uh, both public security and state security in Hong Kong. Um, and the other appointment, which is important, I think, is Lo Huining, the head of the liaison office, now becomes uh, uh, advisor to carry Lam on national security. In other words, he will be the backside driver of national security in Hong Kong, which uh, is, uh, shows how much Beijing wants to be um, in charge and in the driving seat, actually, uh, regarding national security in Hong Kong. Yes, I mean, Mr. Jung was uh, best known for his work in Wukan, I mean, he crushed dissent there, and he described yep. f foreign media as rotten. Is that going to be a problem, do you think, for foreign media here? He's well, coming with a bad image in Hong Kong, uh, to Hong Kong, and um, it's going to be an issue. We'll see whether he has changed. I don't think he has changed too much. Uh, uh, the irony is that uh, Wukan... Um, um, was um, at the time an um, interesting case of uh, protest and then a, a rather free election when Wang Yang was the uh, provincial uh, party secretary. Now, uh, Zhang uh, was himself a low-level official in some way, and um, it's, it's ironic to criticize uh, foreign media because there were very few foreign media in, Hong, uh, in, in, in that village at the time, which had a dispute regarding requisition of farmland with the uh, Shanghai authorities. It was much for Hong Kong media. Uh, which were uh, present in Wukan and trying to cover what you know the events which were unfolding there. So um, yes, he's having he's, he's coming with a, with a kind of negative reputation into Hong Kong, and that uh, I think shows how much uh, Beijing and Xi Jinping wants uh, Hong Kong to toe the line. Now, Edwina Lau will be gathering intelligence and enforcing the national security law. Do you think it's quite a challenge for her in, in, in the sense that aspects of this national security law are very vague? Yes, um, so it gives a lot of latitude uh, to uh, the um, central authorities and their, their representatives in the SAR to uh, include uh, quite a number of uh, potential uh, behaviors or actions or statements uh, which they display, are displeased with uh, in the end of the purview of the national security law. Again, well, we'll have to see how this is going to be implemented, but Beijing... Uh, give itself uh, all the means to uh, uh, be uh, pretty harsh with uh, the Hong Kong people who defy the law. What do you think this will also mean for, you know, social media, for, you know, aspects of perhaps wiretapping? Yes, uh, well, that's something uh, which, uh, you know, I think the uh, intelligence um, uh, office of China have been doing since the handover, maybe before the handover. So they had people here, but the undercover. Now they are uh, openly uh, uh, working here with all the uh, uh, personnel and the infrastructure they need. Now the question is whether this new uh, security office will uh, be empowered to look into uh, 
businesses and uh, transnational companies based here and uh, having and uh, to have access to the confidential information or data and that's something which can uh, uh, create uh, shockwaves among the business community if uh, that's the case the vice chairwoman of the basic law committee says it's good for the government to warn people against using the slogan liberate hong kong revolution of our times which she finds problematic maria tan says the popular protest slogan is out of step with the fact that hong kong is part of china but she says more investigation would be needed to prove whether a person who chanted it was indeed in breach of the security law candice wong asked her if the government is trying to suppress free speech in hong kong this particular national security law has enshrined in utter four that all the uh, rights and freedoms including that of speech assembly and uh, publication and all that is protected as it is in Article 39 of the Basic Law. So you can still go to protest, uh, you can still have freedom of expression, but just don't try and subvert the government or have cessation of the country. How does this slogan suggest subverting the state power? If people just, now how does this slogan really try to breach the law? Which particular slogan? The Liberate Hong Kong Revolution of Oh yeah, okay. Um, the meaning of liberating, um, as far as I'm concerned, means that there is a certain place which belongs to me, but somebody took it uh, maybe unlawfully or by force, or by whatever means, but since it belonged to me, I'm coming back to retrieve it. That's the meaning of liberation. Under Article 1 of the Basic Laws, it says uh, Hong Kong SAR is part of China. Under Article 12 of the Basic Law, it says we have um, a high degree of autonomy as authorized in the Basic Law, and we are under direct rule of the central uh, people's government. When you talk about liberation in the Chinese meaning, in our historical uh, events, uh, it's when you have one uh, piece of land, that place belonged to me, but somebody took it, and now I'm going to retrieve it. That's the meaning of liberation. So as far as we're concerned, uh, Hong Kong belongs to China. Pro-establishment lawmakers have demanded the authorities do more to monitor Hong Kong's teachers, saying some are getting away with spreading anti-government messages to students. One lawmaker suggested CCTV in every school to find out who's saying what. Violet Wong reports. Officials found themselves under fire from both electrical camps at an education panel meeting to discuss teaching materials. DAB lawmaker Anne Chang called the Education Bureau cowardly for not daring to do more to monitor schools and protect pupils from, as she put it, being instilled with hatred. Liberal Party lawmaker Tommy Chang said he had an idea for the authorities. Why not put security cameras in all schools to check whether any teachers make subversive remarks, he said. In reply, Undersecretary for Education Choi Yuklin said it's up to individual schools what measures they want to take to prevent crime, but they might need to pay attention to privacy laws. Meanwhile, the DAB's Elizabeth Court said many parents had complained to her about teaching materials containing messages of hate against the police. She said the materials used for general studies should be assessed by a professional panel. Ms. Choi said the Bureau would consider this, adding that officials have already provided consultative services for publishers revising the textbooks for the next school year.
The official said the bureau has been liaising with schools closely over the matter. She spoke through an interpreter. When we receive complaints about problematic teaching materials, we would ask the schools to stop using them immediately and take them back and make amendments or even make public statements to clarify and to um, give an account to the parents to alleviate their concerns. For serious cases, or if there are any negligence on the school's part, we would ask the school to reiterate our guidelines and our mechanism to the teachers in the meetings. And also, we would ask the school to raise the sensitivity of reviewing teaching materials. Ms. Choi said teachers might be disqualified if serious misconduct is involved. But Education Sector lawmaker Ip Kin Yun said teachers are facing political pressure from the pro-government camp. He also criticised the panel's chairwoman, Regina Ip, for bringing the teaching materials issue to the top of the meeting agenda, knocking out an item on STEM education at the same time. We all know that the chair of the panels of electrical always have the power to decide what to be discussed and when it should be discussed. But usually, the chair would also respect the opinions from the members or other members of the panel. So it is not only whether he, she has the power or not, it is also whether she is decent enough to chair the, the meeting in a rational and very polite way. Arguments over what the meeting should focus had earlier led to Regina Ip throwing out Ted Ho, Helena Wong, Claudia Mo and Tanya Chen. The four pandems confronted her and Mr Ho splashed water on her before they all eventually left. Let's go back in time and hear about the roots of the Jewish music of old Yemen. The Jewish community has all left now, but in recent times, Israeli Yemeni musicians have sought to rediscover their roots. Two of them are Shiran Avraham and Eyal Wahab, who have a new recording of traditional Yemeni music out now, sung in Arabic. Let's take a listen. I live in Israel. I am a musician. I'm a singer. My name is Ayal. I live in Israel. I'm uh, exploring, doing some kind of uh, research on my roots and uh, renewing old folk songs from Yemen. I build instruments, focusing a lot in recycling, basically. by the media, but I didn't meet him personally and we have the same label, Bat of Records. So one of from the company, uh, Doron, he connected me to Eyal. He said, why don't you talk? Maybe you do something together, maybe some duo. So I think I called Eyal, <laughs> right? <laughs> I also know Sharon by reputation, but a while ago, before Battle Records, so I was very happy to see that there are more musicians and more people that are actually going back and renewing stuff like this. I 
I started to listen to some stories that my grandmother told me about her life in Yemen and all the way she did her journey to Israel with her family. So the conversation uh, rolled it to some uh, songs that I wrote and I wanted to sing it in Yemenite Arabic. I didn't hurt the language as a child. And then I wrote the songs, I translate to Yemenite and started to, to learn by myself. I got many stories, crazy stories, and very open with both of my grandmothers. And actually every time that I used to ask, they were getting like suddenly smiling, you know, telling me details and details and details. They have this light in them suddenly. <laughs> I did the first album, it was original songs. I wanted to go back to the real and old Yaman. It was part of my research. I always do a research about it and I learn every day something. It's amazing culture and especially I can't go to, to Yemen. So I do it through music, talking with some people that they live there, you know, after they listen to the song. So they contact me and it's amazing research, I think. I love it. The only period of time like let's say now and 10 years ago, so when there was this kind of a wave of many people, the third generation of, of immigrants that started actually going back, looking back, they have the time, they are the sources. I think it's amazing, you know, to take uh, a Yemeni song and to do some new version, but very similar to the old. It was perfect, I think. <laughs> Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. Swindlers may use many different ways to get your money. They may pretend to be officials and claim that you are wanted for questioning. They may pretend to be your friends and ask you to buy virtual point cards for online games. They may make your acquaintance online with the aim of taking your money. They may pretend to be spiritual healers and try to steal your valuables. Stay alert. If you come across suspected scams, call the police anti-scam helpline 1-8-2-2. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 This is Nostalgia. Nostalgia with Drake Codero all the way until 1 a.m.
was the beautiful green sleeves played by Mantovani. Mantovani and his orchestra. Let's welcome Jim Reeves. Welcome to my world. Come on in Miracles I guess Still happen Now and then Step into My heart 